This is the uh, Deals Activist Investor Today podcast, and I'm here with Tim Doyle, the Vice President and General Counsel of the American Council for Capital Formation. Uh, thanks for taking a little time to join us, Tim. Uh, thanks, Ron. My pleasure. Glad to uh, glad to be on the show. So. The uh, ACCF has a very interesting uh, new report that it put out uh, earlier this month, suggesting there are real problems with recommendations issued by uh, proxy advisory firms, Institutional Shelter Services, and Glass-Lewis. These are exactly the kind of problems that are uh, under consideration on legislation uh, that has been percolating around Capitol Hill for some time. But... uh, now he has a little bit of some statistics to uh, back up those assertions. So uh, I guess first, let's just start a little bit. Uh, Tim, can you tell me a little about the ACCF, when it was formed, uh, a little bit of background, who finances it, anything you can uh, tell us about your organization? Sure, absolutely. Uh, ACCF is a a trade association. Uh, We have a corresponding, um, we call it a C3 by tax status, uh, uh, which is a think tank. It was formed, uh, believe it or not, uh, back in 1976, initially dealing with tax policy, specifically around capital gains. Uh, and we were uh, successful in kind of influencing the uh, reform that happened, believe it or not, at the end of the Carter administration. Wow. Well before my time here at the ACCF. Uh, <laughs> since, that, since that time, though, we broadened out. Uh, we do energy environmental policy, regulatory trade policy, um, and, uh, and as well, retirement savings and corporate <laughs> governance, which is why we're on the phone. Yes, and uh, corporate governance is a favorite subject of the uh, the activist investing today podcast. So thanks for taking time. So for, I guess so, but just in terms of funding, this is it's like mostly corporate donors uh, that, uh, that that fund the ACCF. Or I just wanted to get to make sure the perspective is more on the business side. It's kind of similar to U.S. Chamber of Commerce or the American Enterprise Institute. That cool. kind of- yeah, that's correct. We um, uh, we're a pro pro growth uh, mm-hmm. uh, organization, pro pro business, pro economic growth. So yes, uh, our funders are both corporate. We have trade associations, we have foundations. It, it, it runs the gamut. Uh, most of them are. It's, most of our the funding and the backers are are very similar to the Chamber of Commerce. So okay. to give you a, a perspective of where we're coming from. Okay. All right. Well, the statistics in this new study are really interesting. So basically, one of the things that kind of jumped out at me from the report was that based on your review of filings from forty-four, I'm sorry, ninety-four different companies from. Uh, 2016 to September 30th, 2018, you found 139 significant problems, including 49 that were classified as serious disputes um, between uh, companies and, you know, ISS, I guess, ISS Glass-Lewis recommendation report. So I just wonder if you could give me a little color about that. Were these mostly about C-suite pay packages? I know that say on pay recommendations, you know, against uh, pay packages by these uh, very influential proxy advisory firms um, that can cause a lot of consternation. Uh, wondering if any were involving proxy fights, a favorite subject of the Activist Investors Day podcast, since we write a lot, a lot about, hear about uh, <laughs> activist investors and their dissident slates. You know, very often ISS Class Lewis recommends, you know, their, their recommendations uh, can be very, uh, I'd say they're, you know, quite influential in terms of uh, you know, if they support a dissident slate, uh, it could kind of shift uh, a, a director fight, you know, uh, towards the activists or vice versa if they're against it. So just a little bit of color about, you know, what kind of, sure. what are these serious disputes? Sure. And, and, and uh, point of reference, and it sounds like uh, your listeners are, have, have talked about, or you've talked about this in the past, but uh, it's, 
there have been numerous experts, academics, others that have highlighted a whole range of difficulty with proxy advisory firms. Um, the, we think that the significance of this particular research is, is, is how it's quantified. Um, they're, they're, the issues specific uh, that we, we found have been, have been discussed before, but we, um, for us, we, again, we think it's significant because we've, we've kind of put them together, as we indicated in this paper. And I think to, I think the real issue here is that, well, there's twofold. Uh, one, I think the number of, of, of wonder, number of, um, um, the number of issues that we've been able to identify, we think is actually only the tip of the iceberg. Uh, we, we think, and talking to specific companies about this, they're actually, I think, nervous uh, about, uh, about coming forward and, and identifying the issues they have because they're doing so, essentially calling out the uh, proxy advisory firms that they have to rely on or deal with their recommendations. So we think that this, these numbers are just the, kind of the tip so of the company, So companies, companies may be a little, maybe shy about uh, disclosing problems for fear of, kind of uh, some sort of retri- retaliation down the road. ISS recommends negatively, but some that, road. That is correct. That is correct. And because there's no formal process uh, with the SEC to file these kind of complaints. Right. More importantly, I think, or most importantly, is the fact that there's just not enough time uh, to respond to these errors, be it factual, be it analytical, or be it just serious dispute uh, about the, the, the way in which ISS is using kind of its one-size-fits-all approach to this. Uh, so those they, uh, in your study, the companies, uh, they, they were able to, they provided you their issues confidentially, right? You didn't disclose the names of, you know, XYZ company um, and their and their particular ish dispute, did you? Uh, not in this report, that's correct. Okay. Right. So, I mean, um, so, so was, so it, was is, it on, yeah. uh, you know, so what, can you kind of give me some sort of categories of different types of things? Was it like on uh, shareholder proposals? Was it on executive compensation? What are some of the, cat, you know, just give me a little, little bit of color on what, what kind of disputes they were. Sure. Uh, maybe, maybe the best example, and this, this is one I've, I, I, I've talked about a, a bit with people because it, it's, it, it's so blatant. Um, it's one dealing uh, 2017 with Willers Towers Watson. So this is oh, a, yes. uh, a company. Com- yeah, a company took issue with an ISS report claiming, you know, challenging the, it's uh, it's how it's come up with its executive compensation package. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the real issue is Willis Towers Watson is considered the leading the leader in in these types of uh, in, in in these types of reforms in this space. So most people look at it and say, well, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, ISS, you're you're challenging Willis Howard Watson? Wait, wait, they're, the, they're supposed to be the leader in this, and you're claiming that their, their analysis was wrong. Because Willis Towers, um, they make their own, uh, they're kind of a, what do they do? They're a consulting firm on, uh, on executive compensation issues. That's what they do. Or? Yeah, yeah and, and their biggest concern was that, in this case, it was ISS, but uh, they used incorrect you know, grant data, so you have a factual error. Uh, they apparently failed to consider uh, that the you know, CEO's uh, annualized 2016 total direct compensation was nearly 90% performance-based. Um, and then I think lastly, they mentioned that it, uh, ISS incorrectly stated that direct compensation under the company's program is, is locked in um, it, 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 when it wasn't. And we have up on our uh, web, we have a, a list of the factual and analytical errors from 2016, 17, and 18. Um, and it lists I think we have 94 
estate companies, uh, maybe it's 107 companies. It, we list them all out and we break that, uh, these errors down into factual errors, analytical errors, and serious disputes. Uh, the ser- serious disputes. Uh, the serious are, disputes. Most of them around, are the serious disputes mostly around executive compensation recommendations? <laughs> there, no, it, 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 uh, that's just one aspect. It, it, okay. it, it covers the gamut um, of, of, of the, the issues that we found. So the executive compensation just happens to be the one and the, the Willis Tower one, of course, was uh, Towers was, was the one that kind of stuck out the most as, uh, as being the most obvious that ISS was um, was wrong, or, or I should say, it it really shows the problems that ISS has in in their recommendations in their analysis of, of the recommendations. Okay, uh, uh, maybe uh, so. So uh, maybe one other category you can give us of, uh, of types of disputes. Um, uh, was it on shareholder proposals maybe, or, uh, you know, there's a lot of these ESG shareholder proposals and uh, ISS issues, you know, influence the recommendations and glass Lewis on that as well. Yeah, yes, they do. Uh, ESG um, proposals are the, I would argue, and we have a, a paper, uh, I got a paper out on the ratings of ESG because that's what they, Based the recommendations on and kind of how the, the ratings process for ESGs um, is, is we would argue is flawed. Uh, it's not consistent. It's all over the board. They, they companies that do the ratings uh, can't even agree on what the terms environment, uh, social, and government uh, uh, governance actually mean. So uh, as a result, their ratings are skewed, uh, and therefore, there is a lot of issue with recommendations coming out of ISS based on these uh, ESG ratings. Um, that is, and that's one, that's one of a uh, more of a of an issue of just uh, whether you are going to be investing based on ESG criteria. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether you are or you're not is not the question. It's if you are, you have to. An investor has to have um, um, information that is is consistently another be able to compare it between uh various ratings and various companies because if you have different agencies giving you different ratings and there's no way to compare the two you're just you're essentially lost Mm -hmm. um and there and we are not the only ones that that deal (laughs) that have found that to be the case Uh, there's there's a number of um academics have written on that as well so that's not like one of the areas where the, there are significant disputes. It's just that there's a kind of a fundamental problem with that companies. Uh, you know, I always, I always feel like uh, with ISS, you know, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? Did the ISS uh, issue uh, policies on ESG proposals uh, come first or did the, you know, that the institutional investors that receive their reports um, come up with their own policies and that the ISS looks at it as a consensus of institutional investors' perspectives on on these issues, um, you know, what came first, the right. chicken or the egg, kind of. But you're well, suggesting, it, yeah, but this it, is not the area of this significant, serious disputes. It's just the issue is that the companies yeah. take issue with these ESG proposals. Uh, the, 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 I guess the ISS recommendation policies on ESG proposals overall. Right, and that specifically dealing with their kind of their quote, one size fits all um, aspect and other methodologies they use. Which really gets to the, the broader issue uh, that you, I'm assuming, have talked about this in corporate governance when it comes to uh, proxy advisors, but it's transparency. Um, and we had a previous paper dealing with this as well, talking about the lack of transparency and how they come up with their recommendations. And I always wonder, the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the quality score report, you know, the 10 out of 10 is your worst 
score how how the like the specific details of how they come up with that number right is something that uh, I haven't been able to figure out myself but I mean you could generally see uh, you know a lot of red flags you know get you in that negative negative number area but the, you know how specifically you get from a nine to a ten or an eight to a nine it's it's cool. uh, right that, that that seems to be that uh, uh their secret sauce mix there <laughs> right and and i think that's where some transparency would be would do everyone uh well maybe not i and class lewis but uh everyone else uh, to have some transparency would be uh, would be very helpful and i think this uh, goes into some of the ins- larger institutional investors have their have staff have uh, have devoted uh, more resources to um, to looking into some of these recommendations, coming to their own conclusions. Um, and I think you're probably going to see more of that if if something isn't done to 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 add some transparency and some oversight to the um, to the proxy advisory. Uh, it, it's really ISS and Glass Lewis, but there's others that do too. But but if there's if there's not some oversight into that area, um, I think you're going to see companies spending more and more money, institutional investors spending more money on trying to uh, figure out these recommendations, which of course defeats the purpose to begin with, right? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, yeah, you could argue that the that the I, you know the companies, I mean, institutional investors always tell me that this is one uh, thing that they look at and they they consider it along with their own research, and they have a variety of different inputs that they use to decide, particularly big ones. But you were talking, uh, there there definitely is a consensus that some of these smaller institutional investors, you know, are automatically. Uh, voting based on ISS recommendations, and uh, you described this as robo voting. So I guess first you were you were going to give me some a little bit of a a preview of a new another report you guys are putting together <laughs> at ACCF uh, coming up soon with some statistics on uh, on robo voting. So let me start with that, and then we could talk about uh, whether in- investors really have the resources to do the investigative work themselves. Sure. Uh, so just a little background, I'm not sure how much you've covered robo-voting, but the, the idea is that as soon as ISS or Glass-Lewis puts up a recommendation that the asset manager that receives this recommendation uh, very quickly, and we talk about that in, in the, the paper uh, that just came out, our proxy advisors are the problem, that they, um, within a day or two, are, are voting and um, do so in lockstep with with the recommendation. So this upcoming paper that we talk about is we actually look at specific, a specific um, asset managers and investors in, 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 in percentage wise, how often they are voting in lockstep. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll leave uh, some of the details to the report that's coming out, but I can tell you that, that this this robo voting happens um, in, in many cases across the, the, the spectrum of, of uh, types of um, institutional investors between 95 and 99% of the time. So for us, that, that our, the, what our research to us is very clear is this is happening and it is a problem when you think about, uh, for instance, what we just talked about when if ISF comes out with a, a recommendation that's either factually uh, or analytic, had factual errors or analytical errors or just there's serious disputes, Mm-hmm. ISS and Glass Lewis are only giving companies a, a, a day or two to respond. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and many companies, we've our research has found out that thirty percent, thirty-seven percent of companies said that ISS didn't give them an opportunity to to respond uh, respond at all. And 
Uh, Glass-Lewis, I think we found that 84% said that they didn't receive any notice before the adverse recommendation at all. Yeah, so my understanding is that ISS is, uh, it, it does give the larger companies uh, an opportunity, I think S&P 500, oh. some other ones, uh, to respond and they get some advance notice uh, of, the, of the draft report, I guess. Correct. So, so there, there's two issues there. One is, is the amount of time they give them, which is very, a very short. And two, what about the other companies? <laughs> I mean, right. uh, does that mean, and, and, I mean, you're essentially giving the companies with the, uh, the, the, the best ability to actually respond the advance notice and those that are smaller, you're not giving them any. I know, but on one level, if you, you know, I just actually wrote a story about uh, Newell Brands and, you know, part of it, I incorporated an analyst report from uh, Wells Fargo on, uh, you know, what the, the asset sale that Newell Brands did today. And, you know, that, that I'm sure that the, uh, the analyst there, you know, she, she came up with kind of a, an expectation based on these asset sales for her her share price uh, target and and you know what this means for more asset sales. She didn't share this with, uh, you know with with uh, the company Newell Brands you know in a draft form for them to kind of comment and then uh, argue that there's some dispute about it. This, you know this is I mean, in some ways having ISS and Glass Lewis have to disclose that privately private prior, uh, prior to the report going out. It would be is the same as you know having these you know research firms analyst firms having to provide that their uh, their their da- their research before you know before uh, putting them out and then uh, you know there, I wanted to get to the legislation on Capitol Hill the uh, the HR four one four zero one five the corporate yep. governance reform and transparency act which basically if there was a dispute and they didn't agree to it the company didn't agree and the uh, there's an ombudsman that this would require ISS and Glassless to hire. Uh, you know, couldn't reach an agreement, then the company could kind of attach their own perspective on the issue at the bottom. So you imagine a world where, you know, Newell Brands or some company got a chance to say, you know, no, at the bottom of the analyst report, we disagree with this analyst's price target and, uh, and, and their, their perspective on the company. And here's our, our own perspective on it attached at the bottom of the analyst report. Uh, It's hard to imagine that. Yeah, but I think for any investor uh, that you talk to would probably say, like, yes, I would like to know that. <laughs> if I have a recommendation and a company says that they disagree with it for it be the factual error, analytical error, or just a serious dispute about methodology, mm-hmm. as an investor, I would want to know that <laughs> as opposed to that. And then, you know, and then we find out about them, of course, in the supplemental filings after the fact. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes investors never see it. Uh, never see that there was a dispute or, or that there was a factual error. And that's really the purpose behind this is to make sure that investors have as much information as possible before making decisions. Okay. So I wanted to talk about that legislation. I did a piece today that yeah. just got published on the deal uh, this morning about how uh, essentially this legislation, the HR 4015, which mm-hmm. I just mentioned, the Corporate Governance Reform and Transparency Act, I dis- I'm describing it as it's, it's, it's essentially killed. It's dead. Uh, There's no chance uh, anytime in, in the immediate future to be approved by Congress uh, because it was, you know, it was, it's very partisan legislation. It got approved um, mostly based on uh, Republican lines and that uh, the uh, – now that the House was the Democrats uh, last night took control of the House, um, there will really, really no impetus to to push this this bill forward. Um, you know, the Democrats were key drivers in the Sean Pay provision in the Dodd Frank Act um, that uh, com- companies have to deal with now. 
Um, so anyways, I'm saying that this bill's dead. Uh, but uh, you know, let's assume for a second that this bill could potentially still uh, see the light of day uh, at some point in the future. I guess one of the issues uh, that I'm sure ISS and Glass-Lewis would, would point out, and maybe they have, I can't, uh, is that uh, you know, you, there's this proxy season, right? That uh, all of these um, uh, recommendation reports come out, uh, or not all of them, but a large chunk of them, the vast majority of them all come out around the same time. ISS and Glasslist are busy crunching the numbers, getting these reports out all at the same time. And then to have this kind of, um, I'm not sure if it was 48 hours or some period of time before the report is published, uh, go to the company for vetting and then the dispute resolution. I really would feel sorry for this ombudsman that we're working at ISS, um, having this inundated with you know hundreds of, of disputes uh, from both the company and the uh, and uh, or, you know and the analyst at ISS, you know, uh, uh, over complex C-suite pay package issues. Um, and then having to, you know, they would create this massive bottleneck. And some people suggest to me that it would basically make it impossible. The real goal is to make it impossible for ISS to put out their reports, that there would be so much of a bottleneck that uh, with this back and forth disputes resolution mechanism that uh, it would it would vastly reduce the amount of reports coming out of ISS and Glass-Lewis. <clears throat> Any thoughts? Yeah, uh- Okay, you covered a lot. So uh, first, the, the bill itself. So obviously, it passed the, uh, the House last uh, December. That's right. That's and right. And got 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 some um, Democratic support. I think there were twenty Dem uh, Democrats that, that supported it. Actually, one of which is uh, I think right the race is too close out in Arizona to be the uh, the next senator from that state. So uh, it did get some support. So there there is some bipartisan support for corporate governance reform. Now, there, there are some issues in here that I suspect will make this very difficult um, to get out of a Maxine Waters-led uh, House uh, House Committee, mm-hmm. uh, Financial Services Committee. So I think you're 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 correct in that the bill as written, I think, is, is dead. Um, the Senate, they have been looking at it at least since midsummer. Uh, and the, what I keep hearing from, from the contact on the, on, on the Senate side is just that there, there wasn't an appetite to push this um, this past summer because we all know a lot was going on in the Senate then. So, so will something come out of the House? It's possible, but I doubt very highly this is going to be on um, the top of the agenda for, um, uh, for Chairman uh, uh, Waters now. Uh, I suspect there'll be a lot of oversight done um, over the administration as opposed to trying to get some reform packages done. Right. So I, I, I do agree. I do agree that the, the bill as written is probably dead, um, um, at least on the Senate side and, and won't see anything coming out of the house. Anything that looks anything like this one here. As yeah, for, it was passed by 200 and uh, no, sorry. It passed. Uh, uh, I have the number statistics here. Um, uh, I guess I didn't. Oh, yeah, two thirty-eight to one eighty-two in December. Two hundred thirty-eight to one eighty-two. Yeah. So twenty of those were Democrats. Okay, but um, <laughs> but overwhelmingly Republican uh, approval of the legislation back in December. So that was a long time ago already. <laughs> um, okay. So, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, that's correct. Right. So yeah, uh, so it got out of the House last December and has been sitting in the Senate since <laughs> since the beginning of this year. So right. Uh, yeah, no, we didn't talk about the shareholder proposal uh, aspects of the uh, of a related bill, the HR 
can. But my understanding is that they, uh, there, at least there could be some movement after the SEC's proxy uh, proxy uh, advisor, proxy roundtable round coming up soon uh, on resubmission thresholds, raising the resubmission thresholds. That's and that's, that could be done at the SEC. I'm just wondering if you think some of this could be done correct. by the SEC um, uh, on its own. Absolutely. It, it absolutely can. The roundtable you referred to is uh, next Thursday, the 15th. Right. Uh, it's a pretty broad, uh, what they said that they're the issues that they wanted to get briefed on comment letters. I know we submitted a comment letter and others have around town. I'm sorry, around, uh, from DC, sorry. Um, that uh, I do think that the SEC can and will do something. Now, what will they will do? Like for instance, on uh, resubmission thresholds, I don't know. I don't know if, if, I don't know if necessarily increasing them, doubling them, I think it's like the chamber's proposal, uh, mm-hmm. which in, uh, of course, in theory, we would support. I'm not sure that that's going to get have the support uh, that, it, that it might need to get uh, over the line. But, but mm-hmm. we certainly will see that there could be a compromise in, in some other fashion uh, with increasing some of the threshold, uh, the, the levels um, and tying to some other to other aspects. And we're going to be writing on that probably. Um, here in the not well, this, is the, future, yeah, but this is the two thousand dollars to submit a proposal versus the legislation's one percent of uh, the uh, cor- uh, somewhere between cor- those two numbers maybe could be a compromise. Cor- cor- correct, correct. Well, and, and and the real problem is that that when you start talking about increasing these thresholds, the first thing that comes out of the opposition's you know the first comment they make is that you're 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 disenfranchising. Um, shareholders, um, you know, uh, rights, and so it's it's going to be a balancing act, in my in my opinion. Even at the mm-hmm. SEC, that's that's obviously run by Clayton. Uh, Chairman Clayton, though, is it, well worth noting. Uh, wants things he doesn't want party line votes. I mean, at no. a certain point, he, he may have made a, may have to uh, that that will be unavoidable. But I mm-hmm. think when it comes to this reform, these reform issues, I think he wants to have as, as much consensus as possible to push, push uh, some of this thing through. Um, mm-hmm. That being said, yes, I do think the SEC will, will address some of these issues. And we obviously look forward to the, the roundtable coming up. Yeah, no, my guess is that at least on resubmission thresholds for these proposals, <clears throat> there could be some sort of bipartisan agreement worked out. But we'll see what happens there. So, Tim Doyle, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. We'll be looking forward to uh, um, the, your next uh, uh, report uh, coming out on this robo-voting of uh, really curious to see you know what kind of in- in- investors, small, medium, big, what kind of investors are are uh, are are taking a, uh, are availing themselves of the robo voting o- option, and uh, and yeah, maybe we you can join the uh, the uh, activist investor day podcast again. We could talk about uh, another subject related to corporate governance and activism sometime soon. So thanks a lot of time. Thanks for taking a little time to talk to us, Tim. No problem. Thanks a lot for having me on.